Sisters and brothers in Christ, grace and peace to you this day from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ, in whom we are baptized into a life of faith. Amen. Today is the first Sunday after Epiphany. Technically, the Festival of Epiphany falls on January 6th, which was this last Monday. This festival observance officially brings close the Christmas tide or the 12 days of Christmas and has historically been the day in which we give homage to the wise men's visitation of the Christ child at Bethlehem. In other parts of the world, the day of Epiphany is called Three Kings Day. And in some traditions, the festival carries as much significance as Christmas itself. In Eastern Europe, children lay out their shoes the night before Epiphany and receive gifts in them. And the tradition is to also set out hay for the king's camels or horses. Regardless of traditions, most all Christian churches celebrate the baptism of our Lord on Epiphany or the Sunday after it, as we will do today. In the Orthodox churches, much significance is placed on water in their celebration of Epiphany. In fact, the Eastern Orthodox Church, it is tradition for the priest to throw a cross into icy waters and brave believers compete to dive in and recover it. Maybe we should institute this tradition. <laughs> we can meet down at the banks of the Big Sioux River and cut a hole in the ice and I can watch you all dive in to show your sign of faith. Well, I went ice fishing on Friday and I will tell you that if we institute this tradition, some of you would become permanently closer to our Lord. <laughs> Besides, this would be a good work and that is not why we are here. The Western church, including the Christian churches of the United States, have focused on epiphany as the season of light. If we look back to the original Greek word of epiphany, it means to manifest or to reveal. And it is in this mindset that we look at today's gospel text in God's work to make Christ known in the world. God reveals Christ in somewhat of an unexpected way. We hear the story of John the Baptist preaching repentance down at the River Jordan and giving baptism in the river. And once we get past this character of John, we get a very interesting understanding of what God is up to. Because one thing we have to remember was in that time the Jewish people had been looking for the Messiah. The one foretold by the prophets. The one that was to come to reestablish the Jewish nation as the nation above all nations. They had expected a king like no other since the time of King David. One that would come and establish his reign. Point in fact, the Jewish people are still looking for this Messiah today. Now, our text from Isaiah for today is the proclamation of this one to be anticipated. As God spoke through the prophet that his chosen one, the one whom God upholds, the one whom God's soul delights, is coming. This, of course, is the message that we have just celebrated in Advent. But again, we are here with John at the banks of the Jordan, and Christ walks right up to him. And what is John's reaction? Well, first, he doesn't quite understand what's going on. In fact, he argues with Jesus as if he has any leg to stand on. I need to be baptized by you. But of course, Jesus, in the way he does, says, no, this isn't about you. 
This is about me. And our text says that John consented as if he had a choice. And so Jesus walks into the Jordan and is baptized by John. Now the church, maybe not so much our church, but the greater church has dealt with this text very interestingly. Because the church has taught us that Jesus' baptism is all about us. Now I'm not saying that it doesn't have something to do with you. But what is taught is that baptism is seemingly about you choosing, about your making yourself right with God. That your God withinism has finally aligned and consented with God's will. That you are now cooperating with God. But that's really not what is happening here at all. It is about what God has sent his son to do for you, and it is about how God wants to reveal himself, to make himself known, to speak into your life. It is about God sending his son not to do what the people want him to do, but what God needs him to do. Now many may ask after hearing this text, why was Jesus baptized? Isn't baptism just for sinners? This question raised because the church has failed to teach what is going on. And the answer to this question shows a perversion of the church to make the event about us choosing, about our own self-righteousness, as if God cannot do what God does without our consent. I read an article in Living Lutheran magazine where a young lady named Kadaya Islam, a student at the University of Wisconsin, makes her own assertion about being Lutheran. One of the statements she makes in the article is in response to the violence happening in the world and her needing to separate God from it. She goes on to say that she must find God within herself to make things change to make the world better. The problem is this kind of thinking has been influenced by the belief that God does not accomplish what he will by his own will and purpose. That nothing happens outside of God's will and purpose. But the reality is deep down, most if not all of us believes somewhat the same thing. It is the basis of our sin and our separation from God. Many have bought into the mantra, be the change you want to see in the world. And so we make resolutions, right? To be better people, maybe to be healthier, to be more giving, to be better spouses or friends, to change the world for the better, whatever that might look like. Now, don't get me wrong, there are things about our lives that we can and should change. But there is parts of your life which you have no control over, which you have no say in. One of those places is when death draws near. And this can scare us. In the same way, you cannot control your own salvation. And this also can scare us. Because to think that we have control in these matters is nothing but an illusion. And it is certainly 
not anything of certainty. And so God reveals his son in Jesus' baptism, making him known to you and to the world. And in this revealing, God sets the course for what he has sent Jesus Christ to do. Because the understanding of what Christ came to do begins in his baptism. And that eventually leads to the cross. In baptism, Jesus goes down into the muddy water of the Jordan River and he emerges dirty, not just soaked in the muddy river water, but dirty in a different way. He emerges with an identity. He emerges having taken on your identity, a sinner. It is in his baptism that Christ takes on your very real and actual sin the one whom he's come to redeem. And he takes it to the cross, having taken on your very real sin, and he dies for the punishment of sin. He doesn't pay a price like God can be bought off. He is not the scapegoat. He dies for your sins. And you are put to death in that same event. This is where we can fully understand St. Paul's assertion in 2 Corinthians 5 when he says, For our sake he that knew no sin became sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hearers of God's word, it has been said that the only certainties in life are death and taxes. But I have been called here today to give you the only true certainty that you may cling to. Jesus Christ meets you here today to speak his word of promise so that faith, your faith, would cling to him. That as you go through life with all of your wants and your needs and your burdens and your struggles, trying to mitigate the things that you fear, that instead of trying to seek God within yourself, that you would know that the Holy Spirit has come for you. That he grants you Jesus Christ freely. When Jesus came out of the water, now a sinner just as you are, God preaches and gives him a sermon, a promise. This is my son, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. When God preaches, he preaches his son. In your own baptism, you too were given a promise, the same promise that is certain and true. And God gives the same declaration on you. This is my son or daughter, my child, so that you would know in certainty that Christ is in fact for you and you were marked with the cross of Christ forever. And in doing so, you have been claimed as his own. He has taken from you what he was not, your sins, and he has given to you which you were not, his righteousness, which he actually tells you from this text. This must be done to fulfill all righteousness. Christ has put himself in your place under the demand of the punishment for sin, which is death, and he gives you his place, which is new life, eternal life. And to know this promise is a powerful knowledge as we live in this world. Because the devil will try to speak in your ear and try to create doubt when he sees the perfect time. Sickness and burden may arise, and you may start to doubt. 
But faith clings to this promise, and you get to invoke Christ by saying, I am baptized into Christ Jesus. And that makes all the difference. And Christ has already answered, those that believe and are baptized will be saved. So as we gather today to hear this promise given, may you now cling to your own baptismal promises, just as we have seen Rory claim today. An event that will last for an eternity for her and for all baptized into Jesus. That you would know for certain that your life is in Christ Jesus and that he raises you from death to new life. God does not lie. He cannot lie. And God's promise is most certainly true. Revealed to you by faith for faith. Thanks be to God. Amen.